0: Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I am Francine Belley, your host, digital strategist specialized in corporate and personal branding. I am also a speaker and author of the book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age, How to Become an Unexpert, Thrive and Make a Difference in a Connected World. I am super, super thrilled to bring you inspirational stories, strategies, and practical tips to get more meaning in your life, make more money, and lead a movement to change the world. I am on a mission to help you to connect to your true identity find your unique value and become a leading voice in your marketplace. One of the biggest problems I see with entrepreneurs is that they've got big ideas and great vision. But when you look at their brand, you can't really see any of that, which means that they are putting all of their work, their heart and their soul into it, but they are not really seeing the return because nobody really knows what they do. Does that ring a bell? I have a solution for that. I'm offering business owners, consultants and coaches a mini brand audit so I can look at where you are with your brand, where you want to be and lay out a roadmap to attract your desired clients. If this is something you think will help you, go to francinebelli.com slash audit. That's dot com slash audit to apply for a complimentary audit this is a completely free 30 minute call and it will radically change the way you see your brand forever but this is a limited offer so go now to francinebellay.com slash audit to apply for a mini brand audit well Today, I have on the show Bobby Herrera. He's a storyteller and author of the book, The Gift of Struggle, Life-Changing Lessons. Bobby is also a proud Army veteran, the co-founder and CEO of Populous Group, an organization that helps medium to large-sized organizations better manage their non-permanent workforce. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, uh, Bobby.
1: All hell the underdogs. Good to be with you.
0: <laughs> so, Bobby, tell us in your own words what you currently do.
1: Well, I'm I'm blessed. I'm the author of the Gift of Struggle, so I'm a storyteller. I spend a lot of time sharing stories from the book, The Gift of Struggle. I run a community who's committed to building something bigger than ourselves, named Populist Group, organization that helps medium to large size organizations better manage their non permanent workforce. Uh, but at our core, we believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. And that's the essence of our story. And we're doing our best to share it with the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and I now read the few chapters, the first three chapters of uh, The Gift of Struggle and really resonate so much with the book and your message. Um, uh, 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 why did you actually decide to write this book?
1: Well, that's a great question because it wasn't on my list. Uh, <laughs> I don't get out much, Francine, and I, you know, I, uh, I'm a storyteller. I do a lot of speaking for kids who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide like myself and for military veterans, minority entrepreneurs, and through that journey of being very active storytelling and speaking to those wonderful groups of people, I kept getting nudged, and they kept, you know, people kept encouraging me. It's like, you need to put some of these stories in the book. You need to put some of these lessons that you're sharing in a book. Um, and finally I'd heard it often enough that I uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. And when I finally did though, it was very important to me that I wrote the book that I wish someone would have written for me. Yeah. And uh, you know, your kind words before we started this uh, really touched me. I appreciate what you shared about how it resonated with you. And mm-hmm. I'm just getting wonderful feedback from, you know, I call it students of struggle all over the world who know a thing or two about, you know, wanting to take control of their own story and the big part that struggle plays in that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. So we're going to come back again a little bit uh, with the message uh, that you are, you know, the messages that you share in the book as well. Uh, So before we get there, um, can you tell me which job did you wanted to do when you were a (laughs) kid?
1: You know, when I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be Walter Payton, the legendary football player, Uh, you know, but you know, I grew up working in the fields and um, you know, I remember thinking as my family journey, you know, we worked in the fields, all types of different agricultural fields. Uh, But I just remember uh, one of my older sisters, she had ventured off to try to start her own business And at that point in time, I remember thinking to myself, like, that's what I want to do someday. Because there wasn't anyone that looked like me that was doing it. And my sister was going off the beaten path. And, you know, she was a pioneer of sorts in the community that I grew up in. Uh, You know, a young, gritty, Latina woman that was going out to start her own business. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have many role models like that. So I remember vividly thinking to myself, I want to someday... Start my own business. I had no idea what it was going to be, but that's what that's what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. And just
1: just watching her.
0: Which number of sibling is that among those thirteen? Uh,
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I was number eleven. She was number six. Yes. So
0: number six. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what the rest is doing, or you know, what's the gap here between you? The last. Um, uh, yes, I say thirteen is eleven. Actually, I don't know where I got those other two ones. Uh. So, yeah, um,
1: I I was number 11 11, of 13, so there were 13 of us, okay. Um, Yes,
0: that's it. Yeah, I didn't dream. Yes, exactly. No, you had it right.
1: (laughs) It's a very big family. So,
0: after you, there were two other, no, no, actually, okay. There were two after you, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah, Yeah. so what's the gap between the very first one and uh, and you
1: from the first to the last? The gap is almost 30 years. Can you imagine? Wow. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, there was a pretty pretty big gap. A lot of a lot of a lot of kids in a very small home growing up.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, can, I can see that. Actually, we also were like eight in you know, and I thought that eight was too much, you know, oh. uh, already, you know. But uh, I can't even imagine it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I have three and it sometimes feels like 10. So I'm like, it, it is too much. God bless my parents. I don't know how they did it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So tell me, um, as opposed to that, you have told your stories uh, in many times and, you know, I've read, you know, also the values that you share in your group. But one thing, can you tell me one thing that people still don't know about you?
1: Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think more often than not, You know, people assume uh, I am like very outgoing, very, you know, extroverted. I'm always busy with, you know, business and so forth. But I'm a pretty introverted, low-key person. And, you know, I moved to a farm in Portland, Oregon to lay low and keep to myself. You know, I prefer a quiet space more than I do a big crowd
0: it's funny because i I talk to so many people who actually seem to be extroverts or you know know how to be extroverts but most of them tell me the same thing i also classify myself as extrovert but i totally love my quiet space um, so that's really funny, actually, to, to see that kind of pattern of people who seem to be very extrovert, but actually, you know, really love their quietness and their quiet place as well. Um, and so I think now, more, yes, sorry, then, I, th-
1: I think, I think the more, more gray I get in my beard, the more I value that, that quiet space. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, so tell me uh, before we get to the meaningful work, meaningful life. You know, which state are you in? Where where, where are you based at the moment?
1: I'm in I'm in Portland, Oregon, which is uh, right above California and below Washington. Okay, on the western side of the U.S.
0: Okay, how your business has been impacted by this pandemic? Um, if it, has it been adversely impacted, or the same, or not? You know, actually on the other side.
1: Well, uh, you know, I think I think it's more the exception than the rule of organizations that haven't been impacted. Uh, everybody has. I mean, we definitely have. Uh, it's been the great equalizer of sorts uh, globally. Um, you know, my my company, is, you know, we help companies better manage their non permanent workforce, mm. which allows organizations to remain flexible. So during this time, initially we uh, had a pretty significant. Uh, retraction, but then, as organizations started figuring out how they were going to respond to it, we've played a big part in helping them guide their workforce through these uncharted waters that you know we're very fortunate and blessed that we we've made a pretty significant uh correction
0: mm-hmm. as
1: I think the world's preparing for what maybe the next chapter is,
0: yeah, yeah, which is
1: yeah. you know very very unclear for all of us right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are people looking much more now to temporary workers rather than before?
1: Undoubtedly. Mm. You know, I think even before this crisis hit, uh, you know, the fastest growing segment of the workforce in the United States was the non-permanent workforce, mm-hmm. and that's comprised of all different types, the, you know, the, not the just temporary You got it right. It's like mm. all those fancy acronyms that are being <laughs> used out there—the
0: uh, Silicon Valley types.
1: <laughs> no doubt. Um, so that's you know, arguably one of the uh, biggest trends in the workforce, not only in the U.S. but globally. Yeah. And uh, you know, now that the crisis has hit. You know, there's going to be a lot of organizations that are reluctant mm-hmm. to start hiring back too quickly, mm-hmm. and/or they're just going to have to be very methodical on mm-hmm. when they bring people back and how they bring people back, and you know the risks are so much greater to do that with full-time employees, so yes. they'll utilize mm-hmm. their flexible workforce
0: you know, mm-hmm. strategies
1: to, mm-hmm. to, to do that. so
0: mm-hmm. uh, I, I see it an see- increasing. Have you seen any kind of trends in terms of uh, industries that tend actually to recruit at the moment much more?
1: Well, uh, so yes, that's a great question. Um, what, you know, two, two real, uh, I'm going to highlight three real positive trends that I've seen because uh, you know, right now there's, there's so much gray and darkness out there with the uncertainty. Um, one real positive trend that I've seen that I know will resonate with you is there's been such a tremendous spike in humanity and compassion mm. from business leaders, you know, seeing their people more human. Yeah. and that's both on the permanent side and non-permanent side. So that's been very refreshing and well overdue. Um, another positive trend I've seen is, uh, you know, organizations, at least in the U.S., one of the things that's happening here, and I, I have seen this a little bit more globally is. As organizations have stretched out globally so aggressively the last decade that there's a lot of things that uh, organizations are doing globally, specifically here in the U.S., like call centers, they were outsourcing them to different countries. They've actually brought a lot of those back. And that's creating uh, job growth within some of those call center environments. Now, they've had to be very careful Mm -hmm. about how they do that. But to protect those customers and so forth, that's happening quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, you know right now there's a, a very significant call for you know medical device production and protective equipment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those global suppliers are increasing uh, significantly just trying to find an answer to this, and we have seen, uh, a lot of hiring happening there and mm-hmm. with technology companies.
0: Yeah. Those are the obvious one that we see you now. Zoom booming and no all those platforms, online platform and all those. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um,
1: so, so I think a lot of those, you know, like the technology industry, I think in a sense, most of them could say they've been merely inconvenienced. Uh, yet, there's still going to be a lot of, um, you know, unknowns on, what the next chapter or two are going to look like. You know, mm-hmm. I often say, right now, the business world is going through three stages. There's the survive, like, let's just get through this. There's a the recover, and that is, okay, how is this going to change things? But then I think there's one more important part that leaders really need to start leaning into, and that is the reframe. So once you survive, recover, how are you going to reframe this chapter To mine for those positive gifts that we're all experiencing. Because despite a lot of the unfortunate sacrifices happening out there, there are some really good things developing in the business world right now that's going to change the business landscape for good. Well, we Mm -hmm. need to start leaning into that now Mm -hmm. so that you don't get behind once things stabilize a little bit. Mm
0: -hmm. Are you positive that actually the leaders or whoever are making decisions are going to take really the lessons from this? Because I'm hearing different things like airlines trying to book more, more, more and incentivize people to do the same kind of old thing. Are we going to just say, well, this one was a very bad period, but let's go back to do the same old thing that we're doing before. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing those things and not much of kind of reframing um, type of Mm -hmm. discussions right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Francine. Um, I I, I think we'd agree that it's needed and there's never been a greater need for compassion and leadership than there is. Right now, um, if the direct question is, "Do you think leaders will fundamentally change after this is over?" As much as I would like to say yes, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think reality is that you know human behavior—you know, only twelve percent of people actually go through changes that they say they're going to make, mm-hmm. and you know, that's how humans are wired, mm-hmm. uh, and. I'd like to bet that there's gonna be a larger number than that. I'd have to see it to believe it, but I do like how it's starting to really send leaders some very intentional wake-up calls. Mm,
0: mm, mm, mm. And again, in your book, actually, there is one part of your book that I'd like to quote here, which actually is totally uh, within this kind of similar. When you say, as a family of migrant workers, I have felt from a very young age that we were socially invisible and I live in a country that really relied on my family's work for readily available food, but no one acknowledged what we did. Do you relate to those who now, you know, we are calling key workers, but they were invisible in pre-COVID times? You know, we are talking about those nurses, those, uh, you know, shops, uh, you know, all those very low paid people who were called, mm-hmm. who were neglected before, but mm-hmm. are called now key workers. Do you relate to those kind of things?
1: Oh, I painfully connect to that, um, you know, to that type of scenario. You know, like, think about the wonderful teachers who want to help families now as everyone's being uh, thrust into homeschooling, like mm-hmm. There's not a parent out there that isn't seeing firsthand the value of a great teacher. Uh, and often we need one of these wake up calls to expose our blind spots mm. to the clarity that we need to see. Yeah. yeah so no doubt. Uh, I think the world is seeing that. Um, you know, leadership is so much about just seeing someone. You know, I talk about that in the very first story that I tell in the book and Leadership, more than anything, is about seeing and encouraging potential. And I think there's a lot of wonderful people out there right now that are being seen
0: that
1: maybe hadn't been seen before.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I heard yesterday I was interviewing uh, another woman, actually, um, Heather. Uh, She said that actually, I think the minimum wage for those shop people now is nineteen dollars. When in the past, it was like uh, barely, you know, if you talk about $15, it will have been like, you know, just in your dream. <laughs> and now, you know, it, it, you know, things are starting to change. Um, so um, tell me, uh, Bobby, what actually um, would you say that uh, when you when would you say you realize who you really are and what you're meant to do in life?
1: I tell you the, the marker story?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, when I was 17, Francie, my, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, we stopped for dinner and everyone unloaded off the bus, except for me and my brother, Ed. And, you know, at that point in my family story, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. Yeah, just the way things were for us. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads to the other players, he steps on board the bus and he teased me a little bit at first because Ed had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me that I will always remember. Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so that you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you on this bus. And like to this day, it's hard for me to explain the wave of gratitude that I had in that moment. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. All I knew is that I wanted my future to look different than my past. But after I stepped off that bus, not only did I know why I was going to do what I was going to do, but I had a much more in-depth sense of identity on who I wanted to become. Like I wanted to become that kind man that stepped on board the bus that called me to action to do the same thing for someone else. And, you know, that moment changed everything for me. It became the invisible force. that drove me. It gave me purpose. It gave me identity. And it started me on the journey to pay forward that kind act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide.
0: Mm, yes, that's powerful. Yes, really powerful. And it, you'll say that really, that's the moment that you really, you know, everything changed for you and you, you knew that you had to, to, to do something.
1: Yeah, you know, that was the, the marker moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, by no means did you know, did my plan become clear. Mm-hmm. You know, I had you know, many chapters of struggle ahead of me and, you know, I outlined that in the book. But that was the moment that gave me the hope that I needed, that I could one day, I call it, check the ultimate box. Mm-hmm. In other words, will my story matter? Because at the end of the day, that's really what any one of us want. Like We want to be able to say that we lived a life of meaning that enabled us to answer that question, did my story matter? Mm-hmm. And that moment gave me the hope that, if i pay forward that kind of act and if i create something that allows me to help other kids who look like me kids on the wrong side of the opportunity divide take control of their story then maybe my story will matter and you know that that was that was the marker moment that helped change my way of thinking that i could someday check that box
0: mm-hmm. At what what would you say you have struggled with the most in life?
1: Well, you know, um, the first part of the book, I think, addresses the single biggest question that we all have to ask ourselves in this wonderful story that we're narrating. And that is, who am I becoming? Because there's a, you know, I often, when I work with leaders, I'll ask them two questions. They first, tell me who you're becoming. And second, tell me what it is that you want. And to this day, I see leaders just struggle in trying to answer those questions. Because, you know, I'll often use the mountain metaphor. You know, I I love the mountains. I believe we're all climbing our own mountain. There's a place that we imagine that looks and feels better than where we are today. But that uncertainty on getting from where we are to where we want to get like that's a painful struggle that's often filled with self-doubt. And that's the essence of what my biggest struggle was. I was riddled with self-doubt. You know, I often let that narrative in my mind take over. Like I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. Do I have what it takes? You know, that's the real struggle, that pain we feel inside. Um, and, and the book is laced with examples of how that really came to life for me and steps that I took to get through that so that I could take control of the story.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you are really talking about that because often I talk to mostly women and women admit those struggle more. We don't hear that much often from men. To admit that this struggle, they have spelled out. <laughs> would you say that you are some kind of exception <laughs> in your <laughs> male mm-hmm. uh, counterpart who talk about this struggle and stepped out? Because this look like you know women topic. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: What you, What well, would you say? <laughs>
1: well, one, if uh, I I think there's a very kind compliment embedded in there, so thank you. Uh, I'll tell you what I would say. I would agree that. Uh, men, we're so fortunate we have women in our lives because our frontal lobe doesn't develop until a lot later than, you know, the women's does. And I, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of alpha myths out there that, that men need to get over. You know, it took me a long time to figure out that vulnerability was a key competency of leadership. It took me a long time to realize that the leadership chain isn't the IQ chain. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of dogma in uh, in in leadership by by men out there that is outdated and just flat out wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bought into it, though. I bought. I I made a lot of those mistakes, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when I finally realized that. You know, the single most important asset that I will ever own in my life is trust. And the only way that I can build that is by being human, by being real, by speaking the truth, by always choosing the hardest right over the easiest wrong, doing the things that uh you know, that that fundamentally build trust with others. And yeah, it's like that starts with me, and that's why the first part of the book is, Hey, who am I? Yeah. Like that's the first part of the book helps you answer that question. Who am I? Because until you answer that question, you know, a dear mentor shared with me a long time ago, it like, you have no right to change someone else until you change yourself. Mm-hmm. And th- that, that's a difficult journey. I think it's actually harder for dickheaded men to accept that
0: mm-hmm. than,
1: you know, our wiser counterpart gender.
0: <laughs> um, on, on that note actually there is um one thing i always wonder when is the right time to be vulnerable there is such a thing as i think i can't remember who says that but i find that very um a good kind of uh, metaphor or analogy mm-hmm. it says that usually we hear about vulner- vulnerability from people who have made it. When you are in that struggle, obviously, you are not going to acknowledge that you are in um, this kind of deep depth and nothing is working. But obviously, when people have made it, yes, they finally admit that, yes, in the past, I was, um, you know, this is what happened. And they say that the difference, somebody's perspective on that is that you tell about those Stories when the wound is now a scar rather than is wide open. What's your thinking about that? When is the right time to tell our stories, our deep, you know, story that we fear? Really, those vulnerable stories.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, just like anything else, you know, it's situational, obviously, uh, but. I think a probably more relevant question would also you know, be, instead of asking that question is, you know, when is the right time to tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And isn't that answer, well, always. It's just difficult to tell the truth and it takes courage to tell the truth. It takes courage to be willing to say that I'm wrong or I messed up. And you know, if that's what we're teaching our children, at a certain point in time, we're also showing them that, you know, do what I say instead of do what I do. And as leaders, just like good parents, we have to model that for people. Uh, I made those mistakes. For instance. You know, I talk about it, you know, it took me 10 years of building my company before I finally had the courage to tell the bus story. Mm-hmm. And the narrative that I told was, you know, people don't want to hear it. People don't need to hear it. You know, what if I tell it and I fall flat on my face? And I was scared to death to share that story. And when I finally did though, and I talk about how I did that in the book, uh, I often say that it was the first step that I took in transferring, I mean, transforming my company into a community. So as a leader, if building something special and meaningful is important to you, then you too will somehow find the courage to tell your most significant marker story. But at a certain point in time, you just have to choose. Uh,
0: Did you uh, have some kind of coaching, mentoring, or what what was the step for you, actually, for you to finally say, okay, now is the time for me (laughs) to tell that story? How did you take the step to get there?
1: (laughs) I had had encouragement from good mentors uh, to... You know, as a good friend of mine says, to participate in my own rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was still afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still was very reluctant to do that. Uh, candidly speaking, I my pipes just burst one day. Like I finally couldn't hold it in anymore, mm-hmm. and I told the story to a quiet guy who was helping me film the a video for the Culture Code that I was filming for my company and. Um, I just told them. And when I told them, I had this sense of relief come over me that just made me feel like a thousand pound silverback gorilla jumped off my back. And I was scared to death for everyone to see it. But once they did see it, it humanized me. They finally saw the real me. They finally saw this person who they thought was just this intense entrepreneur Mm become someone that really wanted to build something special that they could be a part of. And I think as a leader, one of the single biggest things that we need to do for our people is give them contribution, like give them something that they can contribute to. And up to that point, I hadn't done that because I hadn't shared my marker story. Like, why did I do this? And why was I doing it? They just thought I was doing it to try to build something for financial security for my family. And yes, that's important. Mm-hmm. But there's, in most cases, a deeper purpose to an entrepreneur or a leader in wanting to lead or why they lead or why they build an organization. And nothing's going to bring that out more than a story that taps into those, those beliefs that we share.
0: Yeah, that big why. why what would you say that actually, how, how your childhood has really prepared you to be who you are today?
1: Wow, those, uh, I mean, I think we all have a PhD in struggle. Uh, (laughs) We just don't use it uh, as well as we should. Um, You know, that's, uh, you know, I look back. I had an experience when I was a few weeks into the Army. Uh, It was my third week in basic training. And I remember I was polishing my boots by flashlight. It's about 1130 at night. And all around me, I can hear the soldiers complaining about the night that had no end in sight, and the morning that was going to happen way too soon. I'm sure your friend for the military understands that all too well. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I've been waking up since the wee hours of the morning, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, since I was a little kid. It's like now I have to wake up at 4:30. Big deal. I know what it's like not to have any money. I know what it feels like not to have any free time because I was always working. And I had even been asked to leave the table because of the color of my skin. Mm. And so I remember thinking to myself, there's nothing that they can say or do to me that I haven't been through before somehow in a harsher manner. And that's when uh, I had an aha moment. And I remember vividly thinking maybe all that struggle was part of the plan. Um, and I started reframing my life. I started thinking about how all those hard lessons in my childhood, what my parents had sacrificed, what we had gone through, how it prepared me for challenges I was facing then. And ultimately that became the beginning of my leadership philosophy that, you know, we all struggle. Every struggle teaches us something. That's the gift and leadership is sharing those gifts with others. And, I've been building on that philosophy ever since, uh, imperfectly, albeit. But uh, that was the beginning of that clarity for me.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say that, you know, many people struggle, uh, but some people are able to reframe as you do, and others just go wrong, down the wrong path? What's the difference?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you challenges that I had. In the beginning, and maybe that's uh, I think a more authentic way to address that question. A lot of the struggles that I had initially, before I you know really started intentionally making that choice, was I gave into what you know is referred to as the thieves of happiness, you know, like comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, that was knocking on my door. I think often we compare ourselves yeah, to others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Uh, there's other unintentional mistakes that we make and how we narrate that story. Like we think we're the only one. Mm-hmm. We think that no one else is going through these struggles. We think that we're all alone. But once we realize that there's others out there, you know, everybody has their stuff yeah. and there's not a single person on the planet who's accomplished something that hasn't gone through struggle first. You know, I often say that we must all go through struggle, pain, and suffering to get to wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I'll often say that the long way is a shortcut. There's no easy way to get to that place that you imagine without going through that pain, suffering, and struggle. Mm -hmm. And when I coach leaders, I'll do a real simple exercise. I'll have them take out a a sheet of paper and I'll have them draw a T on it. And then on the left side, I'll have them write down like one through five or whatever. And I'll have them very specifically outline for me. Hey, write down some of your most significant struggles that you've had in your life. And it doesn't take them very long to do that. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, I want you to now write down what each one of these taught you. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that exercise, it usually doesn't take very long you can see their pupils dilate and their mm-hmm. hamster wheel starting to turn in that. Okay. Maybe that was part of my plan too. You know, and that's why I said jokingly earlier, "is like, we all have a PhD in struggle. Like there's nothing that we have accomplished in our life that didn't get met with struggle first, at least mm-hmm. if it was worthwhile.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, yes, back to my initial question, why some people reframe that, are able to reframe it Mm -hmm. and do something and transcend it Mm -hmm. into some successful businesses Mm -hmm. while other people really go downhill? Well, I think
1: I think primarily my, my personal opinion is it because it's exhausting and it takes courage <laughs> and it, it requires you to to face it is the truth. It's exhausting, yes. <laughs> That's and, true. And, you know, it's it, it's hard. It's not easy, you know, and however, I think the questions that I would encourage someone who's having a difficult time reframe is, you know, hey, at the end of your story, do you want your life to matter? And if the answer is yes, then few things are gonna get you there more than facing the truth of your struggles and mining for the gifts. Because you'd be crazy to want to struggle, but you'd have to be crazier to think that it's not going to happen. So you either face the truth or you don't. And I I think a lot of people are just, you know, scared. They want to, but either they don't know how or they're afraid to. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think there's there's been a lot of research and studies done around that. You know, one of my dear mentors, uh, who's forgotten more about human behavior than others, taught me a long time ago that, you know, less than 12% of people will ever leave their comfort zone on a consistent basis. Like we're creatures of comfort, we're creatures of, of, of habit. And once we start to leave that zone, most people quickly turn around once it starts getting painful and head back. Facing your struggles is painful. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one of my questions was going to ask you how actually we can help people understand that their struggle has a bigger purpose, but I think that your exercise is a good way of uh, doing that, having a sheet of paper, <laughs> writing a list of the struggles and uh, what actually are the lessons that each of the struggle have actually given you. I think this is a great exercise that, you know, we can, we can get to people and then um, yeah. perhaps. Um, some <laughs> Um, find that bigger purpose in there do you think that actually purpose always have to come from the struggle
1: do i think it always has to mm-hmm. uh no I, I mean not necessarily i think in most cases uh, my observation has been that there's usually a deeper rooted meaning as to why someone does what they do uh, It's usually connected to something that they saw as an opportunity where either someone close to them suffered or they themselves struggled. You know, often it's a kind act that Mm. changes someone's life. Uh, But I do believe that there's always a bus story of sorts Mm -hmm. in someone's Mm. purpose and choice and their pursuit to ultimately check. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even if perhaps it wasn't a struggle per se, but there was some kind of connection story to, to get them to really pay attention to a specific cause or purpose. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, now let's actually talk about, um, money. (laughs) 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 Um, so my question for money is that sometimes we are doing some a job that we love uh, but don't get much um, you know paycheck for that and other time perhaps we don't love much what we're doing but get paid quite a lot of money for that so and my question is that how can we both do what we love and get paid well for it.
1: Well, I think there's a question that people need to answer. If that's, me, if that's important to you, uh, you know, we all have our choices, right? Dreams aren't free. So we have to provide for our families and so forth. Uh, you know, so let's kind of remove that to the side first. I often will ask you know, leaders or a fellow student of Struggle, to describe to me, hey, tell me what it is that gives you energy. Like, what is it that connects you to something more meaningful in life? What is it that brings out the most in you and makes your heart sing? And why? And I'll mine for that. And usually it's a story and they can connect to something that happened of significance in their life. And then, I'll ask him the next question. It's like, okay, tell me the gifts that you bring to the world. Like, what are the things that you believe you're really good at? Forget the stuff that people are telling you to get better at. What are the things that you believe you're really good at? And so start there. I often call that exercise. I give them the pen, and I let them take full control of the story they're narrating. But I'll start with those two questions. And from there, it usually inspires us to have a deeper, more meaningful conversation about not only why they wanna pursue something that's meaningful, but what they're really good at, and then helping them connect those two. And once you do that, then the world is your canvas, Mm -hmm. and you can figure it out. Too often people confuse the, the purpose with, the, the problem you're solving for the world, there's a way to connect both, but you have to work for it. It's like, you, you, you have to go out and pursue it. You have to do a deep excavation of your soul to understand those parts of your story. No one's gonna hand that to you. So if that's part of your narrative, like, forget it. I, I often see people that they're waiting for it to fall into your lap. I'm like, no, that's not gonna happen. It's like, you have to do a deep excavation first, then go get it. Mm -hmm. It's not coming to you. Nothing is coming to you. You have to go and find that mountain and climb it. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so that's great. So now I'd like um, you to share with us actually some key principles that you have applied to your company to get to where you are today, actually, um, you know, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, financial, um, you, know, uh, you know, financial or money-wise. What kind of principle do we need to understand?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if you look at our culture code, there's three pillars that we're unwavering to. And the first one is give more than you take. And if you saw that, it would be the give with the greater than sign and then take. And I sign off my emails with every, every email I send is signed off with give more than you take. That's the first one. The second one is speak from the heart. And all that means is always tell the truth regardless what's at stake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the third one is go off the beaten path. Mm-hmm because often in life we get on this trail where we believe we have to follow. And I always say, says who? It's like, as long as you're not breaking the law, Mm -hmm. as long as you're being respectful of boundaries, why can't you go off the beaten path? It's like regrets are wasted emotion, either you do or you don't. And so those are our culture code pillars in my organization and You know, each one of them have a significant story connected to it. I tell those stories over and over. And that's allowed me to build an organization with very clear boundaries, very clear values, very clear principles that, you know, someone the day they walk in the door, they can look at it and say, either I do or I don't want to follow them. Because if you do, you're going to have a very meaningful climb and career here. You know, I call my employees climbers. Because employees doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, climbers, we're all climbing our own mountain. Uh-huh. And if uh-huh. you don't want to follow those, then you know, and you choose to stay here. One, we're gonna see it right away and we're gonna ask you to go climb a different mountain. But two, you're gonna be miserable. And that's not good for you, and it's not good uh-huh. for us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know, I think that's the essence of having clear boundaries and clear principles. State very openly what they are and give someone the choice. You know, if you want to be a part of this family, we're going to catch you doing these right. And we're going to remind you when you're not. And we're going to correct you compassionately and swiftly, however you get to choose. So...
0: Mm, very interesting. So, um, so which tips actually would you give some people right now during this pandemic where, you know, many people have lost their job or even their businesses yeah. with all your stories of struggle <laughs> um, to get up, to get back up? Perhaps some people will be listening to this podcast. They are very low point at the moment. What kind of, yeah. you know, um, tips can you share with uh, us? in way of, uh, you know, climbing back that mountain. (laughs) If we fall down, we were like in the middle of the mountain and then poof, we fall down and then we have to back up again.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, one of my good friends, uh, he's just learning from him. I work real hard not to be an advice monster. So here are the questions that, that, that I'm continually asking myself. And, you know, is like, what am I learning now that's going to serve me in the next chapter? Because I don't know when this chapter is going to end. Nobody does, right? There's a, there's a Yiddish saying that I learned uh, last week that says, human beings make plans and God laughs. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, we just have to, figure out what choices that we're making. And so the questions that I'm asking myself is what am I learning right now that's going to help me as this chapter evolves and moves on to the next one? I'm praying for the less fortunate. I know there's a lot of sacrifice out there, but I do believe that there is some much needed therapy in understanding that narrative for ourselves, Perhaps, Coupling that with that other exercise, you know, going back to the beginning, hey, what have my previous chapters taught me? I'm encouraging leaders to do that while also recognizing that there are some serious and unfortunate hardship out there. Most of us are merely inconvenienced, but there's some people out there who are experiencing what I would call hardship, Mm -hmm. not struggle. I think there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And for those of us that are merely inconvenienced and struggled, now is the time for us to see those people just like that man that stepped on board the bus saw me. Mm. Like one of the most important parts of leadership is seeing and encouraging potential. Yeah. If you're in a position where you're merely inconvenienced and you see people experiencing hardship, now is the time for us to figure out how we give them something that's going to make their story better. So mm-hmm. I pulled my own string there a little bit, but I think more philosophically I wanted to, you know, perhaps have the audience understand the essence of what I believe at my mm-hmm. core, mm-hmm. our responsibility is, and perhaps some ways that, hey, we are learning something. Here.
0: Which movement are you leading or would like to lead or be part of?
1: Yeah, Francine, I, I want to reframe how the worldviews struggle. And that's part of my mission. Wisdom comes through the wound. And often as we evaluate our story, we neglect to realize that it's those moments of difficulty, those struggles that we've had that shape who we are and who we become. And if my story helps others understand that so that they can reframe theirs, that's a great day for me. And I want to reframe how my fellow students of struggle view their story so that they can see the gifts.
0: Mm. So, how do you want to be remembered for?
1: Now, that's, that's a fair question because, you know, hey, God has a plan. We, ne- we never know. Yeah. I was just saying. At the end of my story, if, if these three things happen, then I believe I can say my life mattered. Is number one, the most important box for me is all pro dad and husband. If that box is checked, the next mm-hmm. box is, yeah. Awesome, grandpa. I want to be a great grandpa one of these days.
0: Uh, Are you grandpa already?
1: No, 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 <laughs> not yet, not yet. Uh, and I and I don't want that one to be checked anytime soon. Uh, uh-huh. And then lastly, you know, bringing the bus story to life. You know, helping kids born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide, which also includes my fellow veterans, the courageous men and women who raise their hand to serve. Mm. Uh, that's part of my purpose is to help them reframe their story. So if I check those three boxes and uh, I'll feel like I ran through the tape at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said earlier, God's given me more than I deserve and I've been very fortunate Mm -hmm. to pay forward that kind act that changed my life when I was a young man uh, many times over and I'm going to continue to, to give, you know, the essence of leadership is giving more than you take and, if I continue to do that, then it's going to be a pretty fulfilling story for me.
0: Mm, that's wonderful. So, um, for for the final words, what is your definition of meaningful work, meaningful life?
1: It's a it's a deep, reflective question <laughs> when you put on the spot, but uh, I, I enjoy it. You know, <clears throat> I think I think we we get a lot of fulfillment from giving. You know, we as a human animal, we're hardwired to give and help others. You know, when you create an environment. As a leader or if you're part of an organization where everyone does just what I simply outlined while ago, we give more than we take. And, you know, I imagine the possibilities when everybody is part of an environment where the person to the left and the right of you and and beside you, everyone's, everyone's given more than they take.
0: Do you have any last piece of guidance that you'd like to pass on to our listeners to do more meaningful work and live a meaningful life?
1: You know, we all have to go through struggle, pain and suffering to get to that wisdom that we speak. Um, you know, perhaps I, in, in, in saying that I share one of my favorite quotes, you know, it's, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. And that silent narrative, that whisper of self-doubt that we have inside. I mean, winning that battle, that's life's most important battle. And I was very fortunate at a young age to be able to look that foe in the eye and say, No, I'm going to reframe my story. I'm going to look for the gifts. And I'm I'm not going to let I'm not going to let you in the front door. I've lived that imperfectly, but I'm going to do my best to continue to live it consistently. And, you know, it's possible. We, we can win that battle.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really a great word of encouragement. We can win the battle. That's great. Um, now can you share some resources that our listeners should absolutely know about to live their best life now?
1: Well, there's so many wonderful teachers out there. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of so many wonderful teachers that have, that have, you know, taught me. Um, You know, if I can be that guide for others, you know, uh, I'm I'm easily followed on LinkedIn. I'm actively posting stories of struggle, questions for leaders, questions for those seeking meaningful work uh, like you and I. Um, My website's bobby-herrera.com. And there, one of the things I actively do is I share a lot of great teachers who have taught me how to take control of my story. I'm currently doing a series on that. Mm. Uh, that's, you know, growing fast. And we actually came from readers from all over the world, reached out to me and said, Hey, Bobby, who are you studying? Who are you learning from? And I'm doing a series on that right now in my book. I call that my Bible row. Uh-huh. And those are the people that have guided me. So I'm actually sharing that actively right now.
0: Where do you blog. share those on LinkedIn?
1: It's on my blog, on my, on my website, okay. uh, bobby-herrera.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask actually, where where is the best way, or what is the best way to reach out to you if some people want to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, through through those two reach through those two avenues are the best way. That's that's where I'm most active.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much, Bobby. It was a really a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed. Uh, this conversation and having all, you know, your wisdom and your gem that you shared with all of us, um, you know, and I've even bought the audiobook as well, so because I like listening, <laughs> so I uh, really, um, you know, encourage people to really, um, you know, look at the book Struggles, um, available, I suppose, everywhere on Amazon, <laughs> on every platform that you can find, and I'm going to put the, um, the link of uh, the book in the show notes as well. Uh, struggle. So if people want to read that and uh, get a bit of wisdom during this tough time that we are all, you know, uh, going through. And thank you so much for really being generous and sharing uh, your wisdom with us.
1: Uh, it's kind words. I appreciate it. I'm grateful. I'm better for knowing you. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and all healthy underdogs. Let's keep climbing with style.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. If you are ready, to discover how to develop your unique value and become a leading voice in your industry in today's fast-moving marketplace, make more money and make a bigger impact, I invite you to book a call with me today to discuss your objectives at francinebelli.com call. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash call. Thank you for listening. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work and Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebeley.com slash podcast, with all the references and the resources shared on this show. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, share it with your friends and colleagues on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Make sure also you subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the app where you are listening to this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes and leave me an honest review because it will mean that I will be able to touch more people who are going to be able to see this podcast in front of them. I will see you next week for another... Brand new episode of this season 6. Until then, dream, act, and be an impact. Lots of love.